Welcome to the Dare to Date podcast, the podcast where I have the bigger conversations about dating, love, life and relationships. You know, the ones, the ones that make a difference. Now, I'm quite excited. In this week's podcast, I've got a special guest from America. I'm interviewing Lauren Smith and we're going to be talking about mindfulness and dating and specifically how you can deal with dating anxiety. Now, Lauren is an author and a speaker and also a host of her own podcast, The Date in Peace podcast. And what she does is she combines her own personal success story with her professional mindfulness training. And what she's on a mission to do is empower singles to ditch the dating struggle and get the relationship, that loving relationship they deeply want. Now, I know that there's a lot of people that deal with anxiety when it comes to dating so you're going to get a lot out of this podcast (laughs) and one word of warning Lauren is amazing but we had a bit of a time difference so it was her early morning and it was my time at night after a really long busy day so my questions weren't as good as as they could be but she did an amazing job of providing the information so it's definitely worth worth a listen Okay, I'm excited today to have another guest on the podcast, and I've got Lauren from the US talking to us, so it's a bit of a time difference. It's her early morning, so, you know, she's struggling to wake up. It's my evening, and I feel a bit, you know, tired, but I'm really excited. We're going to be talking about mindful dating, how to deal with anxiety in the dating space, and I want to start off by asking Lauren, you know, could you tell me a bit about your story and how you got into you know, this space in the first place and what what it is you do. Yeah, sure. So the reason I set on, out on this path is because I got dumped one too many times. Mm-hmm. I grew up from a history of clinical anxiety. I suffered with depression. I even attempted suicide in college. So you can imagine that there weren't many healthy relationships in my history. I kept finding myself with toxic partners, not because I was only just choosing the wrong people, but also because I didn't have the skills to create and nurture a healthy partnership. Mm -hmm. This was a key thing that I didn't learn though, until that last time that I got dumped, it was at the beginning of the COVID lockdown when we all like really couldn't go anywhere. And I finally realized there's probably something that I'm doing here. You know, like I, I finally was able to say, let me dig into owning this because if I don't own it, I'm never going to solve it. So in that space, I just read a lot of books in that time alone. I did a lot of reflection, whether I really wanted to or not. And I finally gave myself the space to sit with all the uncomfortable things that I had been avoiding. And that included the anxiety that included the sadness, shame, all the feelings that no one wants to feel. (laughs) (laughs) And at the end of it, I realized that that was the key was getting to know myself was to reconnect with myself. Because then when I went back into the dating world, when we were allowed to go out again, and COVID was starting to lift, I felt like I was in a new body, I had a new brain. Anxiety wasn't really derailing my success. And I've now set out on a mission to teach people those skills because no we don't need to suffer without 
um, like there's an answer. There's no need for us to continue to struggle in the search for love when really it just comes down to a few key skills that when we can learn that it can truly transform our love lives. Yeah, absolutely. So if you were, I, I work with a lot of people who do suffer anxiety when it comes to dating. What tips or what practical advice could you give them to be able to deal with that? I mean, COVID was a great space to be able to, you know, take the time out to reflect, but it still would have taken the courage to get back out there. So I'm probably two questions, you know, I'm curious to, to know how you did that, but what your tips would be for the people listening today? Sure. I think that anxiety can feel like a lot of different things for, for each individual. So mm -hmm. I'll just tell my little bit about how it showed up for me and how mm -hmm. I was able to move through it and to relate to it in a new way, because don't get me wrong. I still get anxious. Mm -hmm. The way that my body responds to stress or gets triggered by certain situations, my body still defaults to the old way of mm -hmm. feeling anxious. All I've done is just been able to notice it in a new way and change the way that I respond to those feelings when they come up. So when I feel anxious, my body starts to get really tense. Like my stomach muscles will tense up. My shoulders will raise up. My it feels like I'm taking shallow breaths. There mm -hmm. is a clear connection between my emotion of anxiety and my physical body. That was like step one for me, because yeah. a lot of times when I used to get anxious, and maybe you guys feel this way too, is that I might not even be fully aware that the anxious emotions are present, but all of a sudden I feel like crap. My body just feels awful. I just want to escape like the fight or flight mode is on full alert, right? Yeah. That's really not helpful when you're on a date. Dating is stressful. So is when stressful. you're feeling like bombarded by all these feelings that kind of feel out of your control and you don't know how to bring yourself back down, that can, that can really take you out of the present moment. So one of the first things that I did was just have the mindful awareness that yes, the emotion of anxiety affects my body and that's okay. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong or that I'm at any risk. It's just an indicator that this is happening. And this is the thing about mindfulness too, that I think a lot of people maybe don't quite understand because we use the word mindful a lot in like mm -hmm. you know, typical language and conversations. But when I'm thinking about mindfulness uh, as it applies to changing your relationship with anxiety, mindfulness isn't just noticing or being aware. Yes, that's definitely part of it. But the yeah. other part of it is noticing it without judging it. Mm -hmm. So we're not saying, oh, this feeling that I'm feeling in my body is wrong or bad. We're not criticizing ourselves for having anxious thoughts again. We're mm -hmm. just being like, oh, I'm feeling anxious. Okay. Now what? You know, like, let's get curious about it. Was there something specifically that happened leading up to this moment that might have contributed to that? Like truly what, what I'm doing here is collecting as much data as possible about the present moment, because the conversely, what happens to us when we get anxious, like we, we start to get anxious, we get lost in the moment, we feel swept away. Like things are just spiraling out of our control. We're becoming consumed by the emotion. It's almost like it is us. Like 
it's not that we're feeling anxious anymore. It's that we are anxious. Like we are anxiety and there's nothing that we can do about it. Like that's the mindset I think that a lot of us might have had. And I still do get that sometimes until I snap back. But the the secret, I think, to changing the way that you relate to those, um, those emotions of anxiety is to just maintain a little bit of distance from it by observing it as some external data. Mm-hmm. Like, I, yes, I feel the emotions. Yes, I see the body language in myself coming up. I see that someone might have said something that felt a little threatening or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the case may be. When you put all that data together, then you start to see that there might be different choices or behaviors that you can do mm-hmm. in the moment if you're present and you're not getting hyper-focused and swept away, that you can perhaps choose something that feels more peaceful. You can do something to keep your body calm. Like for example, on a date, if I notice that my shoulders are getting really raised up and my, my, my stomach is getting tense, mm-hmm. I've trained myself to say, oh, it's happening again. Let me take a, an exhale. And just bring it down. Yeah. And I know that sounds really simple, but that's really freaking hard if you're anxious. <laughs> that, that is hard. And did it take you a while to actually recognize? Because sometimes people do not recognize the body sensations that come with a feeling of anxiousness because they just think that there's nothing they can do in that that moment, that time, or even like, did it take you a while to identify? It sure did. I think that my meditation practice was really crucial in helping me to sit with the emotions. Yeah. A lot of people don't like meditating and I, it's definitely not for everyone, Mm -hmm. but I think anxious people specifically have a hard time starting a mindfulness practice. I found Mm -hmm. because it, that the reason that we're anxious is because we're avoiding, we're avoiding feeling all the feelings. We're avoiding facing the things that we're afraid of or that are stressing us out. And it just compounds our anxiety the more we avoid it, right? So when we're forced to sit in silence, or in my case, in quarantine, with nothing to do but be with those things, Mm -hmm. it's really uncomfortable. And it literally could feel painful or like terrible because you're finally facing the things that you've been avoiding for so long. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that, yes, it took me a long time. Mm-hmm. I used meditation as a tool, but ultimately what it came down to was getting comfortable in discomfort, was allowing the feelings that I had been avoiding and just comforting myself through it. Because those things came up and I had to learn to be like, I'm sitting in my room meditating. It's a Friday night. The whole world is locked up. I am safe. I am safe in my bedroom. So if these feelings come up, I'm going to be okay. It was really changing the story in my head. And that took time too, because it's, you know, then the inner critic comes back online. It's like, what are you doing? If you keep going down this path, you're going to find out that you are unlovable and that you are broken. And, you know, like all these thoughts that, that have been causing me to be afraid of myself for so long, but that critic is part of me. And when I learned to just let the critic be there and send it love, it got a lot less loud. Mm -hmm. So how, how did you, how were you able to send it love? 
like that sounds a, a silly question because, you know, that voice in the, the inner mean girl or the inner bitch or the whatever you want to call it, it, it can be really, really loud and, um, yeah. So how, how, for anyone listening that hears that, how can they do that? Yeah, sending yourself love is scary. If you grew up in a home where you didn't really quite feel loved or maybe love from your parents came alongside something that was also painful, like abuse or judgment or whatever it may be, it it could just feel wrong, especially if you're a people pleaser, a perfectionist, like, you know, it's like you, you're so hypersensitive to where you mess up in life that you feel like you've deemed yourself as not deserving of that love, which is so not true. We were all born lovable. All humans are, are worthy of love. So I think the tool that I use that, that really helped me was meta meditation, M-E-T-T-A or loving kindness meditation. Mm -hmm. It's the idea that you send loving kindness to all beings. Mm -hmm. So you, you go through little rounds of who you're sending it to, but that includes people that you already love, like your sister, your brother, mother, things like that. Mm -hmm. You send it to your acquaintances, coworkers, friends. You send it to people that you have never met before. And you're just doing this, like you could do it while you're driving, or you can do it in like a more formal meditation state. You know, it's just something yeah. that is a practice really. And then you also send loving kindness to your enemies, which is mm -hmm. tough. Yes. <laughs> and you send it to yourself. So the process of doing this made me see that there's a sense of common humanity between all of us. Yes. We are all just doing our best to get through life struggles and avoid suffering. Yes. And even though I sent loving kindness to people that might have hurt me, that's okay. Like they, there can be a duality. Those mm -hmm. people could have hurt me and maybe I'm not ready to forgive them or whatever. Maybe what they did was really terrible, but I can still send them love. And even though I believe that there's parts about me that are quote, not good enough. I can still send myself love. And, yeah. and that I think is really healing to be able to allow yourself that space of like, it's okay, whatever I messed up on today, or it's okay. If my date was absolutely terrible, <laughs> I'm still going to love myself anyway. And I'm going to keep going. I'm yeah. going to be all right. Yeah. Do you, do you think being able to do that allows you to accept someone else to love you as well? You know, like, because if, if you don't know how to accept love, it's very hard to let someone else let love in as well. Very much so. I think that if you don't feel worthy of love, you're going to keep pushing it away or mm -hmm. you might unintentionally self-sabotage. For example, I went out, um, I came out as queer at age 33. So I'm pretty new to all this now at only age 36. I went out on a few dates with this woman who I was just like, oh my gosh, she's perfect. I would really love to have this person as my girlfriend. And I just was really into her. And she was a little hot and cold. She wasn't mm -hmm. really responding as often as I would have liked I felt like I was doing a lot of the initiating and it triggered my anxiety a little bit. It made yeah. that inner critic go off in my head that said, she doesn't like you. Why would she like you? You're not good enough for her, you know? Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where it became something about me that she wasn't texting. 
which is not true. Like there, whether or not I was good for her has nothing to do with my worth. It's just that we weren't a good partner. And it got to the point where like in that situation, that had happened to me many times in the past where I felt like I picked partners that were kind of emotionally unavailable. They -hmm. weren't really all in on me and I would keep working for them. I'd be like, I have to win this person in my mind to prove that I am lovable. But with this girl in this moment, after I had done a lot of work, because this was after uh, COVID, um, I was like, why? I'm not doing this anymore. I deserve to be with someone that wants to talk to me, that wants to be with me. I don't care if they say they're quote, a bad texter. <laughs> like, yes, that's just an excuse. <laughs> no, yeah, no excuses. The truth of the reality, how I feel in the present moment revealed that this person isn't giving me what I need. Mm-hmm. This person isn't for me. So I'm not going to force them to want me. Yeah. And that was a moment, like the reason that I tell this story when I, as like this topic is coming up is mm-hmm. because that was my game changing moment where I was like, wow, I finally feel worthy of yeah, someone that's, that's going to show up. Yes. Cause there is something quite addictive for all of us to get pulled into someone who doesn't like us enough. Like I think it triggers, it triggers that whole, we chase them and it never works. Like it really never works. And it's not about us. But I think those relationships can become very addictive, very, um, very destructive too. Because the person who wants to be with you will absolutely want to be with you and will move heaven and earth to do that. So exactly. I mean, seeing it. (laughs) Yeah, it's like if you have to work so hard to force a relationship to just be you're going to have to continue putting in that amount of effort just to maintain it. Yes. And then will, will you ever even trust that, that you guys were good for each other? Like, it almost feels like then you're, you've tricked them into wanting to be with you. And that's just further exacerbating that cycle of shame and the inner critic. So for me, it's like, skip all that, learn to love yourself authentically, and then show up on the dating apps, show up on the date itself, being authentic. Yes. trusting that if this doesn't work out it's not for you because the yes. your person is going to resonate with your authentic self and i would rather be authentic than have to work so hard to to feel like i have to earn love like that's that's not really love no it's torture yes exactly so authentic's a word that people tend to toss around a lot what when you say authentic what does that mean to you and what you know, like, is it, some people think it's showing yourself warts and all, or, you know, every, your deepest, darkest secrets, but what does being authentic really mean? Sure. Well, I think my life's purpose has been to be authentic. It's been Mm -hmm. a huge struggle for me. I, like I said, I grew up very anxious, just, I was a people pleaser trying to keep everybody else happy. In high school, I was one of them, like the mean girls, you know, the, the plastics type girl. Like I just wanted to be popular. I wanted to fit in. Yeah. I didn't feel like I would be safe to be myself because myself wasn't plastic. Myself wasn't, um, perfect, you know? So it was like, I put so much of my energy and my focus 
to be this thing that I thought other people wanted me to be, that I lost track of who I even was. Honestly, like that's why I was depressed. That's why I was anxious too, because that's a lot of stress to put on myself to constantly be the person that every other, like imagine how many people you come into contact with. And I had to fit the identities of what I thought all those people wanted me to be. And the idea of letting that all go and finally letting the Lauren underneath come to the surface was scared me shitless because not only was that Lauren, not the person that anybody else knew, because I never showed them and I didn't know how they would react or if they would judge me or if they would leave me, but she also liked women. (laughs) (laughs) And I was living my whole life as the straight, perfect artist, you know, successful career, doing everything that I thought I should do. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wasn't happy. And it was a slow journey for me to come back into that authentic place. But what I would say for people is like, you don't have to do it all at once. You certainly can. Mm -hmm. But the way that I did it, which I think helped me as an anxious risk averse person, was I slowly worked on the authenticity privately. And this goes back to being in your body, noticing your feelings, get Mm -hmm. authentic there first. then worry about other people. Like just focus on your internal environment, noticing like who you are from the inside out and worry about everybody else last. That's we've been worrying about everybody else for way too long. Screw them all and come (laughs) back into you, you know? Yeah. And let that shine. So for me, living an authentic life is living in integrity. It's Mm -hmm. living embodied in the present moment. It's learning to protect myself with new coping mechanisms because just kind of like when we were talking about the situation, when you go out on a date and you're authentic, just showing up from that place, you're already protecting yourself because you're not going to entertain people that are going to misvalue you or, or be bad for you. Right. You're already filtering out things because you're in your integrity. So imagine if you could live from that space more often, you wouldn't need to do the the things that you've been doing your whole life to cope. Which is very, very freeing. Very. Yeah. And, and scary, right? Because they've been keeping us safe. That's why we've been doing it. But uh, yeah, you can just take it slow, you know, start off, start off small, make decisions throughout your day that feel more authentic to you. Do you really want to go out with your friend, your quote, coworkers, friends, at lunch to eat a salad or are you an introvert and all you want to do is go get a cheeseburger and sit in your car and enjoy 30 minutes to yourself like small decisions like that can bring you back into alignment with what you really find to be bringing peace in your life yeah so my other next question would be how did the people in your life react to seeing who you actually were you know your authentic self Oh, they were, I have so blessed with so many people in my life that were comforting and loving to me. It was a a slow process and a slow build. Mm -hmm. I was making those daily choices more and more to be more authentic, Mm -hmm. but the decision to come out to my family did feel really big to me. Uh, My mom though, her brother was gay. He unfortunately died of AIDS when I was pretty young, but she had so many great things to say about him and she loved him so much that I knew I wouldn't be at any risk of 
having our relationship damaged in any way by telling her. And I was right. She was a little, she was like, oh, okay. But she was fine. You know, like she loved me and I'm so grateful for that. I have two sisters that were very supportive. My Mm -hmm. one sister I told, and she was like, oh, well, I'm bi. Didn't you know that? I was (laughs) like, no, I did not know that. So that was fun. And then my other sister, when I told her, she was just like, oh, well, that makes sense. And then she kind of just started telling me about something else in her day. Like, you know, they, they, I, in my mind, it was going to be some big deal and it was going to change things, but they, they loved me no matter what. So when I told them, they were just like, okay, you know, good for you. Like, let's do what we were already planning to do today. You know, it didn't derail things. It was just, uh, it was beautiful. I'm so grateful for my family. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, and maybe what was such a big deal for you wasn't when you were yourself, it, it, there's acceptance there. Which is- yeah, I think honestly, what I was most upset about in my brain was that final puzzle piece of trying to fit into their ver- version of me. Mm-hmm. I was scared of what was going to happen. Like, was it going to be like a domino effect that then shattered the rest of our relationship because it was like the one thing that was left that was quote inauthentic about me Um, so I was more concerned about still how they thought of me than how I thought of myself and I think there is a certain amount of like societal uh, not necessarily self-preservation but we grow up in a society where it is important to fit in evolutionarily we do need that sense of community and connection so I think there's a part of us like our reptilian brain that is afraid to push mm-hmm. those boundaries but I think also there is a community for you even if you don't have a loving family like I did or sisters like there's going to be a community for you somewhere else and I think it's so important for for all of us like collectively, that we each step into that authentic place because that's where your true gifts are. That's where your skills are. Like if I didn't step into that, I wouldn't be here, hopefully helping the listeners. I wouldn't have written my book. I wouldn't have felt joy and passed that joy on to people that I, you know, see in the streets or whatever. So for us to be living like inauthentic trapped lives, it's really not helping anybody. You might think that it's helping them because you're help keeping them happy in their like tiny little limited version of you. But really what the world needs is for you to shine bright in your true heart of hearts. And there are people out there that will resonate with you and that will love you for that. Yes. Especially in the queer community. Oh my gosh. There's so many great places to find support. Yes. And look, I think that when you're truly you, that's when your person comes because, and that's when you're truly in a relationship that makes you happy. And not that a relationship needs to make you happy, but it's, it's that match. And until you show up as yourself, you don't find that, that true, I don't know. I mean, the acceptance starts with us. Like it, it always starts with us, but then you I'm losing my words, (laughs) but you, you, I, yeah, I think I see where you're going when, when we're growing up with our caretakers, they show us what love looks like and what love feels like. And there's probably going to be some holes in that love. Like nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. And we've got so many needs as a kid. We don't really know how to express those needs if they aren't getting met. And our parents, you know, they do the best they can, but 
I bet there was somewhere along the lines where you felt unloved in some ways, not, not that they didn't love you. I'm sure your parents loved you like crazy, but as you grow up, you're still stuck in that childhood perspective of, oh, my needs must be met by someone outside of me. Because, you know, your kids, yes, you rely on your parents to take care of those needs. But now we're adults. We can step out of that belief. We don't need anyone externally to get our needs met. We can ask for what we need. We can go get it ourselves. Whatever it, we can choose things to bring those external needs into ourselves. So part of being in a space where you can show up on a date and accept that healthy love is by seeing that you're not waiting for the other person, like your mom or your dad or whatever, to fill needs anymore. You're like, I'm good. I can talk to you. I can communicate. I can get my own needs met. Let's do this together. But if you show up expecting them to fill the hole that your parents never were able to, that's going to set you up for potentially toxic relationships, that same old pattern that you're sick of in, in relationships that don't work out same fights, you know, it's to, to escape all of that. It really comes back to mindful awareness of noticing in yourself where your stress is. What are you avoiding? What are you choosing that keeps bringing you these same type of people? What needs are going unmet and how can you make different choices. These are all really hard to do (laughs) because we just want (laughs) to feel safe. And sometimes feeling safe in the present moment isn't actually getting us what we want in the future. That's such a great point, right? Like, so when you're protecting yourself from those anxieties and staying safe, you're actually blocking everything else from coming in at that point. So, you know, I think most great things always happen outside of our comfort zone, unfortunately. Yeah. But if you were to, so for anyone going out on a date, right? Like, so has the question before then, has dating changed for you since you've done all of this work? Do you, you know, like, have you, have you gone on to meet the person that you wanted to meet? Has it been a very different process to what it was before? Yeah. So when I was in that COVID quarantine, after I had done all the reading, all the research, what I ended up doing for myself was I made a spreadsheet that I could print out and fill out after a date. Because at that point, I had the awareness I had been sitting with myself. I could feel what anxiety felt like when it was coming up and to pause and be like, okay, what's going on? Let me take stock here and see if there's a new choice that I can make to kind of detach from the typical anxiety spiral. So I was really relying on this spreadsheet to keep me on track. Cause even though I knew that I was doing something wrong, I didn't quite know what it was yet. Mm -hmm. I wanted to monitor my behavior as a way to just collect more data, but also to just feel a little bit more safe, like more trusting in my decisions. So when things started to open up and we could go out to like restaurants outside again and stuff like that, I went out on a bunch of dates and mm-hmm. I filled out that form after every date and I felt incredibly lighter. Like there was, you know, after a date, anxious people probably can sympathize that you spend the rest of the night playing everything back in your head. 
like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And what if, what if he or she thinks this about me and when are they going to text me back? Like it just becomes an obsessive rumination in your brain. So the beauty about filling out that form, it had a specific series of questions on it that helped me to like brain dump all of that gunk Mm -hmm. and get to a conclusion in my brain to like make a decision so that it wasn't an open-ended question anymore. And I could just be like, okay, did the best I could. I love myself. Yes. I'm going to see this person again. And I'm also going to move on with my life (laughs) until (laughs) that happens, you know, and this form, it worked so well that I ended up reaching out to a therapist that lived all the way across the country. And together we ended up really curating it so that it would be helpful to anyone. And we Mm -hmm. turned it into a book. And that is why I'm here today. It's like really tell people about this book because it's a really transformative tool. It took the stress out of dating for me. It helps you to detach from expectations. Like a lot of times I would go out on a date and it would be thinking about them. Would they pick me? Did they like me? You know, when will they choose to see me again? And mm-hmm. what this does is it's, it brings it the power back to you. I have a yeah. choice here. Do, Do like I want to see them again? How did I feel around them? Yeah, it's yeah, it switches it. Yeah, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, is it a, a as far as a read? Is it a, a long book or is it a very simple, straightforward process that they can follow? The listeners, it is very simple. It's it's both a book and a journal. So mm-hmm. the first half of it explains all about mindful dating. It talks about why you do tend to pick the same type of people over and over again. We've been talking about this a little bit. It has to do with your childhood, spoiler alert, (laughs) and um, how to break that pattern using mindful awareness. Then the next chapter explains each of the questions that you ask yourself after a date in detail and why. So Mm -hmm. that you really get like the maximum return on your investment when you sit down to answer these questions. And then the second half of the book is just blank journal pages. And it's your little mindful dating practice. Come home from a date, spend five minutes, ask yourself some key things to make sure that your head and your heart are being clear about who you might potentially be bringing into your life. Yeah. Because it makes a huge difference who we choose, right? I think that, you know, the we're the sum of the five people that we spend the most time with and no more so than in our relationships. I think it has the biggest impact on who we become. And it's the one that we're the most careless about. And like you say, a lot of it, I know when I work with people, a lot of it comes from those childhood patterns. And often when people have this crazy chemistry with someone, It usually comes from one of those patterns from the past and it's just repeating something that doesn't give them the love that they want. It's given them the love that they're very familiar with. So breaking some of those patterns with awareness. And I I do find a lot of people get very stuck in awareness alone, that you can be aware of your, your patterns, you can be aware of your anxiety, but you have to take some steps to do something to change that. So I, I love I love what you're what you're doing. So if you gave the people listening three simple tips that they could do to improve their dating, what would they be? 
Sure. Well, I just so happens I actually do have a three-step process that you can use while you're on a date, while you're swiping, whatever the case may be, to help you detach from like those old mindless choices that you would make that might edge you up with the same type of patterns you're talking about, and instead allow you to take action that is in the new direction of the thing that you want. So this first step in this process is to simply pause. When you feel the anxious emotion, when you notice your body getting tense or however that anxiety manifests for you physically, just be like, oh shit, it's happening. And just stop. Mm -hmm. Pause in that moment. Do not do the thing that you would normally do, (laughs) which might be to ruminate. It might be to to text them right away. It might be to, to do say something self-deprecating, whatever it is, just try the best you can to shut it all down for a few seconds so that you can move into the second step, which is investigate. This is what we talked about before is putting on your objective hat, no judgments here, just see every speck of detail about that present moment situation. Maybe it's looking at your body sensations a little bit deeper to learn something newer this time. Maybe it's to evaluate what the other person might've said or done that triggered you. Maybe it's to say, okay, I noticed these things happening. Where else have I noticed these things in my past? And try to connect bigger patterns here. It's about just gathering evidence. You know, this is a cognitive behavioral therapy type tool here. And then- Once you have all that data as no judgments here, we move into step three, which is the most important. Like you're saying, it's fine if you have the awareness, but if you don't choose something different, you're not going to get a different result. So step three is to make a wise choice. And what do I mean by wise choice? Wise is again, choosing something that might be uncomfortable right now, but that's going to get you what you want in the future. A wise choice is also a choice that's balanced in emotion and logic. A lot of times when we're dating, and I'm totally guilty of this, we make decisions because we want to feel good. You know, maybe they're really freaking hot and you just want to make out with them. So you choose to see them again, but maybe they don't align with your values and goals. So logically, they're not a great match for you. You want to make sure that when you're picking somebody, if you're looking for a long-term, healthy, lasting relationship, Make sure you're weighing both the feel-good reasons why you want to see them and the logical reasons why you want to see them again. Pause, investigate, make a wise choice. I love it. So would you recommend that people use online dating to meet people or a mix of different ways? What would be your biggest tip of how to meet people? Sure. I'm a huge fan of online dating if you know how to use it as a tool. Yeah. I think that you can certainly show up and mindlessly date on an app or mindlessly swipe. Mm-hmm. But when you can sh- get to that place where you're authentic, where you're yeah. showing up and you know what you want, you know what you need, and you're taking responsibility for your needs, and you're able to also set boundaries around your worth and your time, great dating apps are for you, but maybe you're still working through all of that and dating apps kind of trigger you. I totally get that too. They will always be there for you. You have other options. 
Matchmakers are freaking amazing. I'm just learning about all the things that matchmakers can do. They really take the stress out of dating, I think. Um, I have an episode on my podcast where I interviewed a matchmaker and it was really eye-opening. And then of course, a dating coach. If you're working through it, get Mm -hmm. a dating coach. They're going to help you to figure out what you need to do so that you can show up on dating apps and feel safe to be yourself, to be able to notice what a healthy partner looks like when you do start vetting them. It's a process and just have love for yourself as you're going through it. It's going to be all right. Yeah. And you know, do do you think that anxiety is more of a thing now than it's ever been before? Or has COVID? What do you mean by more of a thing? Actually, like it's it's funny. Like I'm obviously a bit older than you, and anxiety seems to be since social media. Like I, I look at a lot of people are experiencing a lot more anxiety than they would before. Maybe it's more labelled than it was before, but I think there is a lot of pressure on people that you know we we grew up with photos that you didn't have any choice but you got what came out of the camera now there's the perfect moment there's comparing yourself on social media and it happens from such a young age that you know I don't know it's like the world's given us more things to feel anxious about than ever before and but it doesn't have to be that way so I'm just curious if the, it has social media played a role in in those levels that people feel. Oh, I think so for sure. But it makes it even more difficult to break away from this image that you think you need to put on for the world. In some ways, perhaps this struggle that was only shared by a few people in your time is now a typical struggle. We're yeah. all faced with how can I show up on social media and still be myself? Mm-hmm. How can I be authentic and be on an image-based society? I, you know, these are really beautiful psychological mm-hmm. questions that I feel like we could spend a whole podcast <laughs> just night, diving yeah. into. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's kind of a blessing in disguise because it's so uncomfortable now that we are all waking up perhaps like it's forcing us to all say I'm done doing this I need to come back to me and I want to believe that it's getting more and more safe for people to not be the perfect Instagram image that I I personally really respect people that when I see them on social media showing up themselves because I know how hard that is it is hard. It is hard. <laughs> and there is that that pressure on people. Yeah, so it is beautiful when people show up as themselves. And I think that people really relate when people are able to be themselves, more so than the perfect version. And, you know, for anyone listening, we do relate to people that are human, that are, are like us. And we, I don't think we want to see perfect people online all the time. Mm-hmm. oh for sure we want to see reality and 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 people who are like us and I think that you know people's people have you know nerves around stuff dating is nervous right <laughs> you you're going into a situation where you're making judgments with not a lot of information about people so I think having nerves and if you didn't have nerves there might be something 
you know, to look at there too, because yeah. Yeah, for sure. Dating is like scientifically stressful. It's going to release cortisol, no matter how much mindful work you've done, it's going to be stressful. (laughs) So knowing that that can be a fact, but you can still have fun doing it. You can still have fun meeting people. But I know when I've, I've coached some very anxious clients and I say, you can have fun and they go, oh my God, I can't have fun and date. (laughs) Because oh, I, I do have so much fun now. Are you kidding? That's good. Yeah. Because yes. <laughs> when you get out of your head, like, you know, I think I mentioned earlier, I wasn't, well, I am an introvert. I was anxious. So I would go out on a date and I would be like, oh my God, this is so stressful. I can't wait for it to end, you know? Mm-hmm. But now in my current day, like I'll go out on a date. And even if I know within the first five minutes of the date that it's not someone that I ever want to be romantically involved with, I enjoy humans so mm-hmm. much more now. I'm just like, wow, what a unique view of the world. I can't wait to spend an hour or two understanding how this person thinks and just like mm-hmm. having fun with them. And of yeah. course, if they were, you know, rude or whatever, I wouldn't stay. You know, I'm not going to have force myself to have fun in an unsafe situation. But if they're just like a human being that I'm not sexually attracted to, hey, that's my friend for the night. And I just make it fun you know yeah absolutely it's possible to turn it into an adventure yes and we're not going to be attracted to everyone that we meet like I I look over the years and think there's only really a handful you know it's, it's not as many people as we think so it's not personal when you're not the match for each other because we're all so unique and I think that you know being kind to other humans and and getting to know and learn about each other in a dating situation it, it can be a very wonderful experience and it's it's not rejection if, if you're not a match. Yeah, exactly. And it's always practice. So in those situations too, when I would show up and I would know right away that they weren't for me, it would still be practice for me to be authentic, to yeah. be vulnerable in a way that still felt safe to me. It yeah. was practice of staying in the moment of noticing for when my body starts to get anxious. Like think about it. Like if it's like a meditation practice, sort of like, you know, you sit down (laughs) to meditate. You're like, I'm going to do this for 10 minutes and I'm going to work on it. You know, that's kind of how dating is to me too. Like, sure. It would be great if I show up and meet somebody that really sets my panties on fire, but if not, it's still a practice. I sit and say, Hey, how can I treat this date? Like as an opportunity for me to work on my mindful dating skills. Yes. Do you find that people get more attracted the more you meet them or for you it's more of an instant thing? Well, I think there's two different types of attraction. There's physical attraction, which might be influenced just by like evolution and society standards. But then there's a deeper, like almost an energetic attraction. And that's where I think our childhood comes into play. You know, the way that they act or treat us, their patterns of behavior, body language, like more subtle things that come into that field of attraction. So for me, that first piece, the physical piece of attraction, that doesn't really get much different when I see them. And this might just be me, but it's like, I either think they're sexy or not. (laughs) But then when you get the compounding effects of the deeper attraction, that more like uh, mental, emotional type attraction, that can either make them physically more attractive, 
but it's like, it's not going to make somebody that wasn't already attractive to me, physically attractive more. So, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to carry them. Basically. I need both. Yeah. That could just be me. Yeah. Well, everyone is different with that, but I, I think we do live in a, in an age where people want that instant thing, right? And they have done research and said only 11% of people know straight away that that's going to be their person. I think wow, there's like so cool. 89% do not know it's going to be their person. And I, I don't know, like sometimes when we're, we see someone at a speed date or a, a date, we make this decision without much information, especially when people are nervous and they don't show who they are, that I think that because there's so much judgment in it, that people aren't themselves on a, on a first date, unless they practice, like you say, practicing mindful dating and getting comfortable being yourself, you're going to get the best results dating. But most people find it difficult to bring that person to that, that date. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I don't it's, know if it's tough. If you've noticed any difference, I, I, it's probably a very unpolitically correct question to ask. But have you noticed a difference between dating women and dating men? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I do find a much stronger physical attraction to women. Mm-hmm. So that makes a really big difference with men. Like growing up, I used to always think, oh, I just, I guess I'm the kind of person that doesn't have a high sex drive, you know, because I never really wanted to have sex. And it was just not a favorite part of the relationship for me, that physical aspect. So of course that changes everything when you're, you know, with a, with somebody that you really do want to have sex with and that you really do want to be vulnerably sexually connected to that really adds a deep level of intimacy that I didn't have access to. And then I also think that there's something about the way that women communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because of like the fact that we have the different brain chemistry than men, or just because we have shared experiences, but I find it a lot easier to communicate. Um, And yeah, they're just, they're beautiful. (laughs) So I, 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 I feel like being authentic, everything gets easier in your life. Yeah. If you're showing up and you know what you want and you're doing what is going to fulfill a need, it's going to be easier. It's going to be more fun. Mm-hmm. Totally worth it. Totally worth that discomfort of pushing through it until you can get to the other side of who you really are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. I, I really love the, the wisdom that you have and that you've shared and where can people find you if they want to contact you? And I will put that in the show, show notes as well. Oh, thank you, Debbie, so much for having me. I invite everybody to come and check me out on my podcast, Date in Peace. We always talk about mindful dating and there's lots of information in there for anybody that's anxious. And you can also find my book, The Mindful Dating Journal, How to Find a Healthy Love That Lasts on Amazon. And are you on Instagram as well? I am. You can find me at Metadate, M-E-T-T-A-D-A-T-E. So Meta is that type of loving kindness meditation. Mm-hmm. So I just put it together with, with dating. And it's the idea that we're going to go out on a date and we're going to love ourselves and we're going to love the other person as well. Just show up without judgment and treat each other as equally as possible. Mm, beautiful. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Thank you for talking to me. Thanks, Debbie.